put your mind to rest while listening as I read a story. A story full of adventure and fun. Feel yourself sinking into your pillow. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out. And count from three, two, one. Relax completely. In this episode, I am going to be reading chapter 24. September 30, Kate Warren's House, H Street, Washington. Sarah dreamed. Her dreams made no sense and honoured no rhyme or reason. But the very strong presence of certain people in them rendered them real. In the landscape, she travelled certain places were familiar because she traveled them before in her dreams one scene was a ridge that overlooked a river it had precarious drops into the water below and wound along the paths she'd taken before always with the terror of being lost with her destination never to be found. In this dream, she had her brother, Ben, with her and he was sickly and she had to get him to town to a doctor. Ben's presence dominated the dream. In another dream, she was in Flint, Michigan, trying to find Aunt Annie, but the streets had no resemblance to the flint she knew. Yet, every time she dreamed it, the streets were the same, with twists and turns that confused her. In this dream, the presence was Betsy, her sister. She was trying so hard to bring Betsy to Aunt Annie's to get her out from under her father's rule. But she and Betsy always ended up lost. Usually, when she woke up, the scenery would be difficult to recall. But the closeness of either Betsy or Ben lingered with Sarah. But this morning, when she woke, she was in terror. I've got to get Ben to the doctor, she yelled. He's got typhoid. Shh, Sarah. Shh. The voice was familiar. She opened her eyes and tried to clear her vision, but it was as if 
she was underwater, looking up. Where am I? You're with me. It was Kate Warren's voice. You've been ill, Sarah. Very ill. Your fever finally broke. Her nightdress was damp as she struggled to sit up and see. Kate helped her. Kate's voice pulled her out of the swampy miasma that threatened to envelop her so completely. Sarah looked around. She was indeed in Kate's place, in her very bed, as a matter of fact. Weak and with her short curly hair plastered in perspiration around her head. What happened to me? How did I get here? You fainted two days ago at Rose's house. Sheldon sent word to his superiors and they sent you in a chaise to me. Two days ago? I've been here two days? Yes, Dr. Hammond was here. Major Allen sent for him. Dr. Hammond? He cared for me? Kate grinned. You were out of your head, Sarah. You called him Sheldon and struck out at him. He ordered quinine for you and other prescriptions. You slept like a babe for two days. Sarah sank back on the pillows. Why didn't you wake me so I could talk to Dr. Hammond and Mayor Allen? You are either dead to the world or delirious. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. What do I have? Dr. Hammond said you had a type of malignant fever. He calls it Podomac fever. He'll be coming again to see you and explain. Sheldon told me that Lizzie Fitzpatrick's mother just died of typhoid. Is that true? Yes. What else did Sheldon tell you? He was just worried about you, Sarah. He was very professional and soldierly. What else did you wish to hear? Nothing, Sarah said. Professional and soldierly, she thought, but not professional enough to understand. I was only doing my job. She closed her eyes. I think I just want to sleep. October 4, Kate Warren's house, H Street, Washington. The next time Dr. Hammond came, Sarah was sitting on the settee in Kate's parlour, which was really part of the kitchen. She was freshly groomed, thanks to Kate, and wearing one of her friend's silken robes. She was so glad to see her old friend. She started to cry. Oh, Dr. Hammond, I thought I'd never see you again. He sat down next to her. 
you'll have more trouble than that getting shut of me, Sarah Wheelock. I've kept track of you, you know, checked in regularly with Mr. Pinkerton. Sarah was touched. No one had ever cared to keep track of her doings. She felt the warmth of his concern, the pleasure of being looked after. Kay tells me the fever has broken. Yes, sir. He took her hand, feeling her pulse. You're a lucky girl. Thanks to your caring friends who got me in time. I've got some new vaccine from the Surgeon General's office that's going to be given out to all the hospitals starting tomorrow. I thought the dose of bitters you made us all take back at the hospital would be enough protection for us. He laughed. Likely, it protected you from getting the typhoid. I believe that Lizzie Fitzgerald brought it back from her mother's. But she wasn't sick, Sarah told him. Some people are carriers. I firmly believe that, though I can't prove it. There are many kinds of fever in Washington these days, Sarah. Typhoid, malaria, remittent and bilois. All the hospitals are full of men with fever. So, you've been busy, Sarah said. Yes, and not only with that. I've been helping the medical director of the army of Potomac. We've been formulating plans for frame buildings to accommodate at least 15,000 men. We can no longer rely on hotels and schoolhouses, churches and public buildings. And you've come here to see me. I feel guilty keeping you from your work, Sarah said. You'd only feel guilty if you don't let me vaccinate you, he answered. And you too, Mrs. Warren. I'm grateful to you for caring for Sarah, but you must take precautions yourself. He vaccinated them both. Kate was braver than Sarah, but Dr. Hammond said she'd been brave enough in the past for any two women he knew. The vaccination involved some scratching on the arm where the vaccine went in. Then he advised more rest and good food for Sarah and left. The next day, while Sarah was sleeping, Nubin came around and delivered a cooked chicken and some fresh fruit and bread. Sarah was devastated that she had missed Nubin and she cried for missing him. She cried at the drop of a handkerchief, it seemed. And back home, she'd never cried. What was wrong with her? Kate said she had a slight fever again from the vaccination and put it down to that. 
Sarah berated herself for that. Then, why didn't you get a fever? She asked her friend. Why am I suddenly such a sissy boots? You have been through a crisis of the soul, as well as the body, Kate said. You must be patient with yourself, and allow yourself to heal. All this talk was about crises. It was new to Sarah, especially out of the mouth of a strong widow woman like Kate. Such tenderness and acknowledgement of her troubles as real was new to her too. At home, there had been no time or energy devoted. To caring about the state of the souls of the women in the household, much less their bodies. Kate said she had a week between assignments, so she stayed home and cared for Sarah that first week. Never had Sarah been so exhausted in her life. As the trees outside Kate's apartment windows turned red and gold in the October sunlight, she took her ease, reading and resting, thinking of Sheldon, going over in her mind the conversations between them, remembering his smile, wondering what she would do differently if she had the chance. And crying when Kate wasn't about. The second week, Sarah was stronger. Kate went back to work, and Sarah spent time straightening the place, even doing some cooking. Kate was on another assignment, but came home nights. Kate never mentioned Sheldon. Neither did Sarah. But she did not have to, for he was there always in her soul, part of her, more than she had allowed to herself that he was. She found suddenly how much he was part of her. She measured everything in life by the pleasure and the pain of knowing him. She had unwittingly. Done what she vowed she would never do as a woman. She had allowed the idea of a man, the remembrance of him, to seep into her bloodstream and change the very fibre of her being. The war was not anywhere near Washington now. Sarah read in the papers about President Lincoln. Calling for a movement into East Tennessee, there was a brief skirmish at Springfield Station. Virginia and the Confederate government made a peace treaty with the Great Usage, but everyone was still waiting for the next big action. October twenty. Kate Warren's house, Washington. Then, toward the end of October, Kate came home and told her that she'd heard that Rose Greenhow 
was being sent to Old Capitol Prison. Sarah's first thought was, "Is the child going to that terrible place with her?" She asked Kate. "Yes, you know Rose by now, Sarah." Major Allen says she wouldn't think of going without her. The child brings her sympathy. Little Rose heightens her ply with the public. I've heard there are terrible people in that place, not to mention vermin and disease. Sarah said, "How can she take Little Rose with her?" It's her choice. Kate reminded her, "Do you think there's a chance I can go along? Shall I ask Major Allen? To what end?" Kate asked. When Rose likely knows by now who you are, Sarah contemplated that, thinking, and has told little Rose, "Oh, Kate, I can't bear having the child think I betrayed her. She looked to me so." I promised I would always be around as a friend for her. That's the hardest part of this job, Sarah. I wanted to tell you before, but we all have to find it out for ourselves. We tend to become fond of those we are supposed to be reporting on. I don't know of any other case Major Allen has taken on. That involved children. Yours was likely the first, and he knew you would be good, because you are the youngest agent and could get close to the child. Oh, Sarah, don't cry. Kate sat next to her on the settee. Think of the wonderful job you did for your country. If you hadn't made friends with little Rose. You wouldn't have found the diary, and so many of those arrested would still be doing their mischief, including the mayor of Washington, who was in the plot to detach Maryland from the Union. Sarah wiped tears from her face with the back of her hand. You're right, of course, but still, I'd like to see little Rose. Even from a distance, do you think I could? When do they go to prison, Kate? This afternoon, Kate looked worried. I suppose I could get you across the street near S.D. John's. It's a favorite place of all of us to watch the doings at Rose's, but we cannot be seen. Sarah promised. And then it came to her. Likely, she'd see Sheldon too. Oh, she thought, Sheldon. In the portal of S.D. John's church, which gave good protection, they waited in the shadows. The October afternoon was warm, and dozens of people. Were already congregating outside Rose's house, held off physically by the Sturges rifles. They were waiting to see Rose taken to prison. 
grown men, women of quality, even little children, were gathered in the street and across it to watch the spectacle. I'm ashamed of myself, Sarah told Kate, but I'm not here for the same reason as these others, to ogle. Still, I'm ashamed. You want to stay or leave? Kate asked. I'd like to stay and see little Rose. If she's perky and looking well, I'll feel a lot better about things. Kate took her arm. Then, let's go to the back of that crowd over there. No fear will be seen. They took their places carefully, trying to blend in as best they could. They did not have long to wait. In about ten minutes, the carriage came, and the men of Sturgis Rifles herded the crowd back. Sarah saw Sergeant Stevens, but he was concentrating so on his task at hand that he did not notice her, for which she was glad. Out of the carriage stepped Mr. Pinkerton. With him were Price Lewis and another man, John Scully. Kate murmured. Immediately, they went into the house, and for what seemed like an endless amount of time, the crowd waited. How did these people know? Sarah asked Kate in amazement. Likely, Rose had word smuggled out that she was being moved. Then she's still getting out messages, and she will, even in prison, I guarantee it. Kate said, then fell silent. The front door of the Sixteenth Street house opened, and a collective gasp went up from the crowd. As Mr. Pinkerton came out, leading Rose, who was holding on to her daughter, the two other Pinkerton men followed. For one brief moment, Rose stood there on the top step, dressed in her best. Sarah noticed, and waved to the crowd. At once, a cheer went up in the street. And she blew kisses. Rose, Rose, Rose! The crowd chanted, louder and louder. Sarah saw the men from the Sturgis Rifles hold their guns up in front of them to hold the crowd back. There were many more men than had been at the house before. At least fifty of them now. All solemn and ready to perform their task, Rose waved and held up her hand for silence. The crowd hushed. Abraham Lincoln has written in words of blood. She called out, upon the tablets of history, that the great model republic is a failure. The people cheered, then went silent again.
waiting for more. Why, Sarah thought, they are all sessionists. They all betray the union. It was frightening to her that all these people who gathered in the middle of the day in the nation's capital proclaimed their hatred of the union. It was more frightening to hear such sentiments so boldly spoken by Rose. What have I been thinking? Sarah wondered. I have truly had a crisis of the soul, as Kate called it. Of course I have done the right thing here. How can I ever have thought otherwise? Kate was looking down at her, her blue eyes twinkling as if to say, You see? Sarah smiled at her. Let's go, she said. I've had enough. But there is little Rose, Kate whispered. Don't you want to see her? Look, she's dressed in all her finery. No, Sarah said. And look, there's Sheldon. Look, little Rose is hugging him. This time, Sarah looked, but could not see for the tears in her eyes. Well, Sheldon would hug little Rose, for that she wouldn't blame him. But he could have made some allowance for what she was doing, she thought. He could have understood, couldn't he? After all, we are both on the same side. He could have forgiven me. After all, what I had to suffer as part of my job, he had to suffer too, didn't he? Only, I can't fix loving little Rose, and he can fix being angry at me, only he won't. So, it has done nothing to do with our jobs, does it? And maybe it never did. Come on, Kate. I've really seen enough. Let's go. Sadly, all good things must come to an end. So, I bid you good night. Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite.